Hello, welcome to Lit KC. I'm your host, Jason Prue. Today's guest is the writer of strange and weird and wonderful fiction, Mr. Oren Gray. Please forgive the audio oddness in this episode. The levels go up and down a little bit. Uh, I think Oren's mic was in a weird position, and I do believe I've got most of it worked out in the editing process, but if not, and there are some blips and blops here and there, please forgive me. This is also the season finale of Lit KC. We'll be back again next year with a whole new group of Kansas City authors to talk with. Here is Oren Gray. Big banks not loaning money to working class people. It's crazy. It is crazy, man. <laughs> so what are you working on? Uh, um, I haven't seen you in a long time. It's been a very long time. I feel like I don't really miss out much, though. You're pretty active on Facebook. I try to be. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Like Lately, I feel like I've been out of the loop on everything because I've been... Uh, I mean, I've basically been one kind of sick or another for like a year because I had and I had the appendectomy back in October. Is it? Did it come out of the blue? Was it a full-on well, old-school attack? Like you didn't know what was coming? No, like that's the weird thing is that um, before that, so like a year before I had it, I'd had my tonsils out, and that took a long time to recover from because apparently if you have your tonsils out when you're an adult, it fucking sucks. wrecks you. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me several months to recover from that, and then, like, no sooner did I get recovered from that, then I started to feel, like, sick. This weird kind of abstract sick. And we tried for months to diagnose it. Couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And I finally went and got a, like, an MRI, basically. And, um, it turned out my appendix had actually ruptured, like, months before. What? And had just been rotting inside, like, inside my abdomen for months. And that's what was making me sick. So, yeah. Like, when they had my appendectomy, like, I, I was under for, like, three times the length you're normally under for an appendectomy because they had to, like, take all that necrotic tissue out and shit. And wow. It was, uh, it sucked. And so then my recovery was slow from that. And it's been kind of an uphill recovery. Uh, but at the same time that was happening, like, Grace had to go to the emergency room two or three times and... Um, she had a she had back surgery for a, a disc which she knew about in advance, but the other emergency room trips we didn't know about yeah. in advance. And then she had her gallbladder out, and it was like a one of those like overnight gallbladder tag ambulance ride to the emergency room kind of things. And that's just all been like all sandwiched in the last year, like less than a year, like six seven months. And so it's just been and my husband's been <laughs> from all that stuff. So when you're dealing with that kind of like. I mean, that's a lot of just, it's real. Like, yeah. you know, do you, how do you process that in terms of meeting obligations outside of that? You know, it's like any other job, except you don't have to go to an office. You've got right. people you're responsible to. Yeah, and most of the stuff I did, like, I mean, my fiction output dropped back, sure. of course. Um, but, like, most of my freelance work I kept up on while that was, while that was happening because... Aside from the times when I was just, you know, in the hospital, I could work, you know, sit in bed and put my yeah. laptop on a pillow or whatever, and I could still work a little at least. Um, and so I kept on most of my freelance stuff, but um, I had one sort of big freelance project that I was supposed to start back in, like, October, and it has just gotten kicked 
down the like because it's a big project and I just have not had like both the time and the energy. Yeah, to, do to really it focus it and do everything else, and so it's gotten kicked down. I'm finally starting on it like just now, um, and it's uh, it's going to be a several month project, but. It's, it's, I can't say what it is. Um, You're under NDA? I'm under NDA. <laughs> oh, man. It has to do with the, 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 like a phone-based app game. Excellent. But that's all, that's all you can say? That's all I can say. Hey, that's so. good stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's something I wanted to talk to you about anyway, like how you got involved, you know, writing for... You've done fiction. <laughs> you work as a writer on other content-based platforms that have nothing to do with fiction writing, but it's generating content. How did you get approached to work for Privateer? So Privateer specifically, um, by the time I got approached by them, I was already working full-time doing other kind of content, like SEO content and that kind of stuff. Um, but I actually got approached by them because of my fiction, because I had a, a guy who worked there, Simon Berman, who was a fan of my fiction. He'd read some of my stories some other places, and they were looking for some freelancers to do some fiction because they were branching out into doing some in-world fiction. And he put my name in the hat, as it were, because he, was, he liked my work. So it was just pure that you just had somebody that knew yeah. you? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and then once I wrote a couple things for them, I started doing other freelance stuff for them. So I've written some like actual game book stuff yeah. at this point, not just fiction. But Has that led to other gigs in the gaming industry? It actually hasn't much. No? Um, I've mostly only worked for them as far as gaming industry stuff goes. Um, I haven't... I, like I and actually I haven't done anything for them in like a year. <laughs> I should uh, I should really I should really reach out to them and. Well, they probably know it's been a rough year for Orin. Let him be. <laughs> um, well, I wrote my first novel actually for them, um, so that came out last year. So uh, it was originally going to be like the first of a three part. Yeah, because you generally prefer working short stories. Like that's your you just like it. <laughs> You're one of those people that I just I'm happy here. I'm happy working in a short story form. Yeah, my wife is always on me to write a novel, and I'm sure I will eventually. But so far, I've only written this one, and that was because they hired me to. Um, but it was supposed to be one of three, and uh, just like the realities of sort of their marketing and and all that kind of stuff means that sort of we published that one, and we were talking about doing more, and then it kind of. They were like, well, we're not sure when. And so it's been kind of a, we're still not sure when, so maybe there will be more novels from them. I don't know. Are you are you ready for the second and third, If, in terms of you've got, you know, where the story's going to go? Um, to that extent, like, so it was interesting writing that novel uh, because I compare it a lot to writing, what, to what I imagine writing a movie tie-in must be like. I've never written one, so yeah. I don't know how I'm guessing. But, like, they basically gave me the entire plot. So they gave me, it's a 90,000 word novel, they gave me a 9,000 word outline. Wow. Um, and it had, like, chapter by chapter, this is what we want to what's going to happen, yeah. you know, and so, like, there was a lot of stuff I added in, and there's a lot of stuff I fleshed out, so there's several characters that are mine, like, I created those characters, and anybody who isn't, like, a, a character... A named character, right? yeah. Anybody who isn't a character that has a model in the game, like, it's probably someone I made up, but, um, but, you know, like... As far as just what what beats were gonna hit and like what, you know, who who was gonna die and who was gonna live and where where the fights were gonna happen and what the fights had to roughly entail and geographically where they had to go and the political ramifications they had all that already done for me. It was just a matter of filling words in. Is that harder? It was different. Like it. I, so, so because I don't nor rather because I normally write short fiction, 
I don't normally write fiction from an outline. Yeah. I normally just sit down and start writing, and then, uh, you know, I can, I can revise to my heart's content, and I'm not wasting a ton of time. Uh, because, you know, maximum writing like 9,000 words or something yeah. usually. Um, you can rewrite that several times. But when I was doing something this big, I had to write from an outline, obviously, and this was not my first time writing from an outline, but close. And so actually having it all sort of spelled out, it was really different. And I don't really know if it was harder or not, but it was definitely like, it was an incredibly different experience than what than my normal fiction writing is, even the other stuff I've done for them was. Yeah, I, I find that pretty fascinating. I mean, because I think working with constraints is a good thing. But to that extent where it's like, hey, we just need you to fill in some holes here and we know what the story needs to do. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And it, it, Are you happy with how it turned out? Because I haven't read it. I've been meaning to pick it up. But. I, I, I'm pretty happy with it. And I, I think it was, it, it was kind of fun in the sense that it let me do different things than I normally do. Like, it, it, the challenge became not where does the story go, but how do I make it hit these beats? Right. How do I make these beats like feel real and feel earned and, you know, give them any resonance, give them... And it was particularly hard because the faction I'm writing about in it is... They're, they're these, like, religious fanatics, you know, they're, they're burn-the-heretics kind of, kind of people, and it's very easy to show them as villainous. And I think... Hitherto, they largely have been seen that way by a lot of people, but they're not intended to be. And so, to try and like keep them accurate to what they are, you know, these are people who will, you know, the puritanical, they'll burn witches and torture people for all this stuff. And all this stuff. Keep that real, but also make them human and make them. Well, the people that believe that in real in real life, <laughs> they don't see themselves as evil. Right. Exactly. You know, and, no evil and, person sees himself that way. So and is... to, to get inside that and make them. Because almost everyone in the book is those characters. There's no one outside of that spirit. It's almost entirely within the Protectorate, which is this faction. And so to, to give and to give those people nuance among themselves, so they're not all identical, yeah. was also an interesting challenge. Where it's like, here are a bunch of people who believe the same things, and they believe in the same ways, but they're different people still. And so they come to the belief differently. Right. Um, and that was, you know, the, the challenges like that were, were different from what I'm used to, and that was a lot of fun. Did you have a religious upbringing? No, uh, not at all. You grew up in small town Kansas, yeah, right? Yeah. My wife did. My wife had a very weird, strict religious upbringing. Was it evangelical or some other? Evangelical. Yeah. And she helped me a lot writing this. Um, I pulled a lot from her, you know. Horror stories. Of right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, like I would sit down and talk with her about it, or she actually helped me like co-write parts of the book, too. Because um, I was also writing under an incredibly tight deadline, so I needed all the help I yeah. could. I wrote it in two months. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> badass, man. I guess it's a good thing they gave you an outline, because yeah. it would have probably taken a month to come up with, you know, how that needed to flow out. So now that you're uh, you're getting back healthy again, what's uh, outside of this this big project that you've got? Is that your main focus now? Like you? Um, I'm trying to get back into writing more fiction. Yeah, uh, I've got my third collection is actually coming out. In August. Who's putting that out? Word Horde. Some Thanks. people have put out my second one. Perfect. So. It's coming out August, you said? Yeah. What's it called? It's called uh, Guignol and Other Sardonic Tales. Oh, so. yeah. Are they putting it out in paperback? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and it's a little bit longer than my last collection. Um, How many stories? 13, maybe 14. Uh, but the total word count 
is quite a bit 10, more. Man, not tons more. About mm, ten thousand. The story more, and a half so, more, yeah. Because yeah. um, the stories are just longer. Yeah. Um, on on balance, I've got um, I got a few in there that I'm, I'm pretty proud of, and, and I'm happy with all of them, obviously. How many of them haven't been published yet? There are going to be two that have not been previously published. Sweet. So. Um, and a few of the ones that have been previously published have been published in places where they're not super easy to come by, like fairly limited run. Oh, right on. That kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it, it should be it should be a good time. So it's all done on my end. I'm just now you're just waiting for it to come out. Galley proofs and that kind of yeah. stuff. And that's it. Um, so what happens from that end in terms of uh, you know marketing? Do you do they Word Horde help you get out there at all to go to conventions and? Uh, they don't do as much like from that end, but they do. They they handle all the like advertising and that gotcha. kind of stuff. Thankfully, because I would not want to do that myself. <laughs> that's a lot to take on. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what. Yeah, that's a. It's hard. I know folks that, you know, if you try to self-publish, like that's what kills most people is yeah. trying to be. As it's honestly the whole reason I haven't done any self-publishing to speak of. I, I did one chapbook, is just that. Like, for me, and part of this is because I'm a freelancer, I think, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at, and I would rather someone else do the stuff I'm not good at. Yeah. Um, when, when you self-publish, you become, you know, you become the editor, and you become the publisher, and you become the advertiser, and the marketer, and you're everything, and, and you can hire some of that out, freelance, of course, but to me, I would rather turn over some of my profits, but also turn over some of that responsibility for the yeah. things that I'm not as good at. Well, that stuff, that's what drains you. If you start yeah. spending all your wheels on the things that you just have to work extra hard at, right? you know, you can't, uh, can never be freed up to work on the stuff you just want to spend your time on. Yeah. I'm hoping when the book comes out that I'll make it out to Petaluma, California, which is where Word Heart is out of, um, make it out there for a book launch for it, but I don't know whether I'm going to or not. It's going to depend on my health and finances yeah. and all that stuff. So. Yeah. How did you end up in Kansas City from your small town? <laughs> I... So I always lived in Kansas. I grew up in a little tiny town called Sedan until I was in third grade, which is... Where's that at? South. Um, it's about maybe half an hour from the Oklahoma border. Oh, wow. Real far down. South. It's in Chautauqua County. Um, and... Then my dad got a job as, uh, he got a job as sort of a maintenance foreman, or not a building foreman first, for building prisons. And so we would travel around wherever they were building a prison, and he would oversee construction for that. Um, and he did that, so we lived in a couple different places. We lived in Topeka and Wichita and a few other places where they were building prisons. And then uh, when they built one in El Dorado, he stayed on as a supervisor at that one, so we didn't move around anymore. So I, I lived in El Dorado, or near it, until uh, I graduated from high school. And then uh, I... Were you a writer as a kid? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I went to Baker University, which is over in Baldwin City, which isn't far from here, really. No, it's not far from here, right? South of Lawrence there? Yeah. And uh, that was... I'd moved from El Dorado, clear up there, I had never been to Kansas City or anything before that. Um, and while I was going to school in Baldwin, I met my wife, and we got married. And You met her at school at Baker? Yeah. Cool. And um, we got married, like, a semester before I graduated, I think. 
And so we got an apartment there, we lived there, and then she got a job up here in Olathe, and we moved up to Olathe, and we've kind of lived in Olathe ever since, basically. That's how I ended up in Kansas City. There's some, some kind of gradual migration yep. this direction. Maybe eventually you're just going to head deeper <laughs> into the city. Eventually you're going to be right downtown, and then you'll just migrate north. Do you like Kansas City? I do. Yeah. Um, it took me... Like, as a kid, I always hated Kansas. Like, I hated growing up here. Um, because, I mean, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to live somewhere cooler, you know. I wanted to live on the coast or something when I was a kid. I wanted to, like, everyone I knew, I wanted to, like, run off and move to California. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it took me a long time to figure out what kinds of good stuff was here. But, like, once I, I got a job up here and I got a job actually downtown, you know, a, a, a law firm and, and then a different law firm and so on, and got to experience the city a little more because I'd never really been in a big city before that. Um, I got to kind of see what cool stuff was here and learn to appreciate it a lot more. And as I have, you know, I kind of love it now, but it just took, took, getting, took getting used to yeah. figuring it out. Um, is, there a, is there a particular horror group of writers in Kansas City? I mean, I know you and there are a few other folks that I know but I don't think you know each other. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few. Um, some of the people that I work with in my freelance work, actually, are, are kind of horror writers who live here, although uh, they don't do a ton of publishing. Yeah. At this point, they do more freelance work and less fiction. Um, but mostly what we have a lot of that I know of is we have a really good horror film community yeah. in Kansas City, which is just fantastic. Like, I'm, I'm, well, that's your other baby. I mean, right. yeah. And the two don't overlap as much as you would think they would, or as, as I would have thought. I would have thought that, too, that you would have found many, many other people doing that, Yeah, at I, least as a hidden hobby. Right. <laughs> and it, it doesn't seem like the, the horror film community and the horror like, writing community interact nearly as much as I would have thought they would. Um, so I know a few horror writers, and I know a ton of horror film people, and some of them write, like, you know, about film, but... They're not generating new stuff. fiction, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a ton, so, but I mean, we have we have a great. If there are any, please, you know, look me up. Absolutely. Um, but I'm really happy to have found the horror film community that we have here because it's amazing, and we have like, you know, we have the Screenland, and we have the Alamo, and they're showing great revival stuff, and there are cool local people hosting that all the time. And yeah. We see amazing stuff on the big screen, which is just fantastic. Something I wanted to ask you about. What do you think of this Suspiria remake? Oh, man, I'm, <laughs> like, and I'm hearing stuff coming out of, uh, I don't remember the name of the convention, but there's a, you know, there's like a film convention going on right now where they're showing some of the, like, first footage from yeah. it. Yeah. And the stuff I'm hearing from it, like, it sounds really intense, and it could be cool, but it sounds very different, which is both good and I bad. Could, I, like, I would say, that don't try to emulate right. it. Like, um, take the story and do something interesting with it, but... yeah. And I, I don't know. It scares like, me, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, how to, I don't know how to make of it. I'm kind of waiting until I see some of this footage and, and see what I think. I'm really bummed, actually. Like, at one point, they were talking about remaking it as an anime. And I actually think that would have been really cool. I think that would have been good. I mean, it like, would have fit the original, like, the colors and... Yeah, you know. like, I could really see that. And this new thing, I don't... I have no idea what to expect from it. Like, it's it's a, it's a, a director I'm not very familiar with, and... And... It sounds like it's taking a very like body horror almost kind of angle from the stuff I've heard from the previous stuff, and so I'm I'm really unsure like what to make of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if how 
for one, how much the witches get played up. Right. Like, I... Or what I want is I want witch fiction. <laughs> good witch fiction. Like, good witch movies. Like, The Witch that came out a oh, few yeah. years back, that was great. That was fantastic. That was, like, yes. Yeah. I don't necessarily need period pieces like that. Right. But that was good. That was good. Did you see The Black Coat's Daughter? I have not. Is it that... Is, it is... It's not as good, but I mean, it's some people think it is, but I, I didn't think it was as good. But, but still, it is, if it's, it's still in that line. Like perfect. Yeah. I have not seen it. Good, good, good. And check it out. Did so when you went to were you at Baker? Were you studying creative writing or English? Uh, when I went, yeah, I was studying English, English and philosophy. Um, and I had originally planned to study creative writing, but I actually hit in this weird gap where they didn't have a specific creative. Oh, they didn't have the program. Yeah. Like, they had had one, and then they stopped, and then just as I was leaving, they started having, kind of having one again. You could you could get an English major with a focus in creative writing, but that was towards when I was leaving, so that was, I kind of missed it. I came in these, these like, three years in between. Did anyone give you shit for being into genre fiction? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you have to, like, you had to defend yourself, or was it just, like... Uh, I did a little bit of both. So, like, okay, so we had, when I first started there, there was only one creative writing teacher. He was actually a Spanish teacher who taught creative writing on the side. All right. Um, and he was definitely very much in the genre fiction is garbage, like, school, and you should only write, like, literary, you know, literary fiction, like, stuff about, about real-life experiences and that kind of stuff without any genre trapping. And this was in, so set a time, this was in, like, the mid to late 90s? Uh, or early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah, okay. I was, I was class of 2000 all right, when all I graduated right. high school, so I was, this was, like, 2000 to 2003. Damn, that's still pretty late. Like, I would right. feel like that debate should have been over by then. Oh, my God, <laughs> it should have been. And, and so, yeah, he and I, he and I had, we had clashes, but also, um, I adapted and I wrote the kinds of stuff that my teachers expected me to write and on the one hand I think that 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 clash is garbage like that clash is stupid genre genre fiction genre genre film is every bit as valid as literary stuff is and I honestly don't really know the difference I don't think there is anymore <laughs> if there ever really was um but I'm glad that I did the stuff I did in college. I, that I'm glad that I did the, the sort of more realistic, more you know, less less uh, less genre stuff because it I, I learned stuff. Oh, I think learning to write that way, the focus is not on plot, right? It's on characterization. It's on getting to the emotions, which genre fiction does lack often, yeah. and your fiction doesn't lack. Right. So that's there. But I think studying, like. If you were to have gone to a program where that's all they let you study, right. I think having the basis in like, hey, this is an English curriculum, you know, it's Western American English, yeah, it gives you a base in like, hey, these are some common themes that I really can start to work with. And, and I feel like you can teach people that without like teaching them that the other is bad. Yeah. Like, you can say, you know, you can totally write a story about, you know, skeletons or about superheroes or whatever, but I'm also going to require you to write a story about two people having an argument with, like, a spaghetti or whatever, you know, like, neither of these are better than the other, but you're required to write both. Oh, well, good writing is just know. good writing, right. Bad writing is shit, too. I mean, right. I, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not, yeah, there's no, there's no need to, to create a hierarchy that, that is unnecessary, but I mean, it, it was it was partly it was partly like institutional, you know, the canon stuff, and it was partly just his bias. Like, yeah, it, it was what he liked, and he he was upfront that like he wasn't really 
particularly well equipped to be a writing teacher. He was a Spanish teacher. It's like they were just going to give me an extra 5k a semester and I took it. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it was, it was what it was. I, I did, I did have some, some struggles about it, but toward the end when we had more professors, it got a little better. There was, there was more acceptance. A little more doing, opened up. Do you find yourself having to defend your writing today when people find out, oh, you're a writer and then you like, they, oh, horror writer. <laughs> you write not, scary stories. <laughs> not often. The, the closest I get is I still get people now and then who see horror as a very narrow and band. I say horror and I feel like that word is even narrow because it's not really what you do. Right. And and I've it took me a long time actually to sort of embrace calling it horror. Yeah. Because when I first started I would I would dig around for all these like oh I write weird fiction or I write supernatural fiction or whatever to distance it from you know stuff like Saw or right. stuff like you know even Friday thirteenth or whatever. Um, and it took me a long time to come around to like the idea that horror is much bigger than any of those things, and so you like it can be all those things. Like it can be, it can be all things to all people. I mean, it can be, um, you know, it can be Gremlins, and it can be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> and it can be, you know, The Witch, and it can be you know, something that's completely unsubtle, and it can be so many different things. It doesn't have to be gore. It doesn't have to be scary. Not really. Um, it, it has to be atmospheric. It has to have a certain... I mean, it's like any other genre. You're working with a set of tropes, right? So, yeah. like, Scooby-Doo is is in the horror genre, right? It's not scary at all, but it's clearly dealing with the horror genre That's tropes. Right. And it has ghosts and bats and spooky old houses and, and all that, you know... It's suits of armor that move on their own and paintings of eyes. I mean, that's all stuff from the horror genre. Like, that's... It doesn't have to be scary, and you can play with that, and you can play in that, and you're still in that big amorphous area that's, that's horror. But a lot of times when you say it, people see whatever they think of as horror. Like, there's this much, much narrower thing they see, and so sometimes they struggle with that. Like, so for people who, when they hear horror fiction, they think, all right, Stephen King, Dean Coots, Clive Barker, like, there's four or five big, big names. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's much broader than that. Who would you say, outside of yourself, like who would you point people to to say, here's where you can read someone who's really pushing boundaries of what it means to be writing in this field? Oh, man. Um, I mean, part of, part, of the, I don't know, part of the beauty of horror is that there's so many like, sub-fields, yeah. especially writing. Like with film, not as much. There are some, but like film, because it's more expensive, it's necessarily more... More within a narrower band, um, but I mean, with writing, there are people just doing all sorts of different stuff. So like, there's weird fiction, and there's a whole. Who's grabbed you recently? Who's put stuff out recently that you're just like, damn, that's really. I wish I'd have done that. Uh, Matthew Bartlett, as someone who is doing really, really amazing stuff, just consistently. Um, uh, John Paget, uh, who he wrote. Uh, the Secret of Ventriloquism. He he used to run the still does I think run the Tom Ligotti fan site. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fan site. So he's very much in that like Ligottian cosmic nihilism yeah, kind of vein. Yeah. But it's 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 a, he he does some amazing stuff. Um, those, those are two that have really wowed me recently. Um, uh, let's see. I want to say um, Amanda Downham is doing actually like this sort of borderline urban fantasy stuff, but it's like urban fantasy more by way of Clive Barker and early White Wolf. Oh yeah. Than, you know. 
than, than whatever you'd normally see associated with that. And she's got a collection that I actually wrote the introduction for. All right. Um, and so she's doing some really great stuff. Um, and there's just tons of people. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there are there are a ton of really yeah. good people writing weird fiction. Yeah. Like and just we're, we're in a really, like, really great... It's kind of staying in the small press at the moment, but yeah. we're in a really great moment for, like, weird fiction. Like, the classic sort of spooky weird fiction, but also, like, border-pushing, cross-genre, bizarro stuff. I feel like with Vandermeer's Annihilation getting, like, that big of a buzz and push, like, that's just going to lead more people to well, realizing there's a lot more going on. Yeah. And it's really exciting right now because, I mean, we have Annihilation, which, you know, hit, like, actual big theater chains, but we also have They Remain, yeah. which is adapting a Laird Barron story for the first time, which, I mean, Laird Barron is kind of the... When, when you talk about, like, contemporary weird fiction writers, he's kind of the closest to a, a breakout story. Right. <laughs> um, but, like, Vandermeer's more almost uh, in the over end of these sort of science fictional yeah. area of weird fiction and, and magical realism and that kind of stuff. He's not, like, the, the core weird fiction people like like uh, Baron is yeah. to the same extent. I mean, they're just different writers. Um, but seeing both of those get made, I mean, uh, Nathan Ballingrud has a movie that's being adapted from one of his stories. Paul Tremblay has a movie that's being adapted from one of his books. So, I mean, some of the people that I... They're like a, they're a few years ahead of me, but, I mean, they're people who I've been on conventions with and I've, you know, hung out with, and, and I'm seeing seeing them get movies made. It's, it's exciting because they're my friends, but it's also exciting because this is the kind of work that I'm seeing being done, and I'm seeing it getting adapted to the screen. Yeah, screens. people are paying attention people, to it. People, um gravitating to it more which is really exciting yeah so I yeah think it'll get more attention on it and get well we'll, we'll see what happens i don't know the money's there people yeah. are starving for those kind of you know the stories that are speaking in that vein yeah um, hopefully you'll book a netflix deal Lauren. that'd be cool i'm, I'm down with that i think uh <laughs> i'm sure you've got a few a few under the belt so You've been in KC since you graduated, so almost 20 years? Um, a little bit less than that? A little bit less than that. So we lived in Baldwin for a little while before we moved here. So I'd say up here we've been at least, I mean, probably 13, 14 years. Do, uh, when your books come out here, do you ever do any release parties locally? I never have yet. I've, I've considered it each time, and each time... Logistics haven't yeah. worked out for whatever reason, um, but I mean I actually don't. And again, this is this is something I run into that I'm actually less active in the literary community here than I am. Well, that's what you are very active in yeah. the community. It's just, and I don't again, I don't know if it's a function of Casey and how the lit community is working here for you. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know why. I, I I think it's probably honestly I just haven't done the work. Yeah. Like, I probably <laughs> just haven't done the legwork to get more active. But, like, I joke with people that I go out to um, to Portland for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. I've gone there four or five years now um, for that festival. And I go out there, and everybody knows who I am. Like, I know everybody. They all know me. And, they, you know, there's dozens of people in the, like, lit community in Portland, Oregon that I know. But here I don't know nearly as many, for whatever reason. And it's just like, again, I, I don't know if it's just that I haven't tried hard enough. I'm not sure what... I'm pretty sure that is actually, in fact, exactly it. Like, you nailed it, man. Um, well, because because you know, I know I know people online, right? And online, it doesn't matter where they live. Yeah. 
And so I know them, and it turns out a bunch of them happen to live in Portland, or right. a bunch of them happen to live in Seattle or, or Toronto or wherever. And so if I go to those places, I already know all these people because I know them online. But I don't know as many people online who happen to live here. And so I've just never, like, I've never tried to, like, go out and meet the people who live here in person like I should. Um, except for, again, except for in the film community where I know a yeah. ton of people here. Yeah. So... It, it gets weird. Um, so how do we rectify that? Do we have a do we have a con here? We bring people in. I don't know. I mean, we have had a few cons here. Um, people have come in. We had, uh, well, we had World Fantasy here. Yeah, that's a true. A couple of years ago, yeah. um, and a bunch of people I know came in for that. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, we have a we have what Conquest every yeah, year. Yeah, Conquest. Um, and I know a few local people who go to it, um, like Sean Demery and uh, yeah. you know uh, a few other local writers. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure why I've never, like, I, I don't, I don't know if there is a really good lit community here and I'm just not tapped into it or if there, <laughs> yeah. And I so, think it's fair to Midland. I think, you know, again, I think it depends on what you're doing. Like the poetry community here is phenomenal, like better than I've seen in a lot of cities. That's awesome. Um, fiction, I just don't know. You know, I know there are people writing and a lot of people writing fiction right. in general, um, but I don't know how well they band together. I just think it's it's a little more outside of poetry, which is really they're trying to bridge all these gaps. I just don't know. I don't see a lot of people that are focused specifically on, hey, let's get the genre writers together to talk and hang out and share work. But maybe it's not that necessary anymore with the online stuff. Like right. you've got people that you know and trust that, like, hey, I, you already know what I do. I know what you do. Let's we can talk about this. Right. Well, I think part of it. I mean, part of the problem is is just that, like, those people I know who live in Portland, they never see each other either, even though they live in Even Portland. though they live in the same place, right. yeah. Like, I, I mean, I know you, I haven't seen you in... I'd say it's probably been two and a half yeah, years. like a couple of years, and we live right here together, and, yeah, we already knew each other and everything. It's just like, without without a convention, or without something to cause you to come together, you just, you know, you have your life, and you yep, get busy, you're doing your own thing. You, know, you post on Facebook now and then, and you say hi, and you chat on Facebook, or on Twitter, or wherever. But you don't see each other. You don't go physically to see each other, because you're just busy. And That's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, Orin, because <laughs> I wanted to see you and all these other people, and I, I miss, you know, you and I work together, and we could go have lunch, and talk about all this stuff, and I really miss that, and with the other friends of mine that I have that write and just talk about yeah. anything. I mean, talk here's what's going on. Here's a movie that's coming out or here's something I'm working on. I feel like in some in some ways that's that's kind of one of the places that like the film community has kind of an edge because you have you have a thing to go do, yeah. right? You have this movie that's coming out and you're all going to go see it at some point, right? And then you have something to talk about specifically that you've all seen. Yeah. Uh, there's always a joke whenever I go to conventions that we go, we all, all the writers go to the writing convention, we all talk about movies, because we've all seen the same movies. Like, It's true. I mean, yeah. the culture is, like, it's very hard to say, yeah, well, I haven't yet read that 300-page book, but I've seen 20 movies. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's only so many movies that get released each year, right? I mean, it's a lot different a story, lot. too. Yeah, It's a lot, but, you know, like, everybody I talk to has probably seen Infinity War, or whatever. You know, everybody I talk to has probably seen Annihilation, or whatever, you know, but they haven't read... And, you know, they've read like maybe two or three books that came out this year, but they've seen six movies that yeah. came out this year, and so we always end up talking about them. But, but also, again, with the film community, you can you can go to a screening, 
and then you're all there. Yeah. You're physically all in the same place. You can like have drinks at the bar afterwards since all of our movie theaters have bars in them now. Which is a godsend. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can grab a drink at the bar afterwards. You can talk about the movie. You can talk with one another. And it, it gives you that excuse to get out of the house and go hang out together. Which, it's so easy to just get into whatever pattern you're getting into right. with your life. And just not, especially for, I think, most writers. Because I think most writers are kind of introverts. And we tend to, you know, we tend to hide if we can. <laughs> I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't want to... Like, I am an introvert. I need time to myself, but I really miss having not online conversations. Yeah. And for me, like, for a while I had a lot of online conversations, and these days I have less than I used to, actually, yeah. because I don't have the time. Like, and if I do have the time, it's not when the other people I want to talk to are Yeah, there. right, they're not around, yeah. And so, like, you have two options. You can either, like, DM people, like, you know, direct message people, chat with people directly one-on-one, -on -one, or you can just dump your thoughts onto Facebook or whatever, and then whoever happens to see it you can by engage the algorithm, yeah. then you can reply back to them. But it's catch-as-catch-can. Like, you know, you, you throw a thought out on Twitter, it's not guaranteed who will see it. All that stuff, too. Like, I don't get a look in your eyes. I don't get a, I don't right. often get the sense of tone that you're just fucking around. Right. Or that, no, this is really serious. Whatever it may be. You know, all those cues that you get from being in a room with somebody. That's one of the, one of the reasons I still go to conventions and try to go, you know, to several conventions. I mean, one or two every year is because once I've met someone, like even once, and had a conversation with them, then when I talk to them online, it's different. Yeah. Because I can I can hear them. Yeah. Then I can see them. Got a sense of voice, of mannerism, yeah. Idea of what they're like, like. And I don't think Nick will mind me using him as an example. So like Nick Mamatas, um, is is kind of a famously curmudgeonly guy online, um, and uh, when I was first getting started, you know, he he took me to the mat several times, like told me I was being dumb, and he was right. But I was terrified of the guy. I mean, because, you know, he's, he's this very, I mean, he's very sort of intense. He's very um, aggressive when he argues uh, online. And I met him in person, and everyone always told me, you know, no, he's a sweetheart. He's a really nice guy. And I was like, oh, but he's so scary online, you know. <laughs> and I meet him in person, I'm like, oh, no, he is. Like, he's a really super nice guy. And then every time I see him interact online, I can see it. Like, I can see it. Like, no, he's not angry. Like, he's not, he's not being aggressive. He's just... He's just being him. Like, if, if he were in person, I wouldn't be scared of him at all. And, and you know, I mean, he's still very good at arguing. Like, he's, he's an amazing uh, rhetorician or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. But and he's not scary. Um, but, I mean, I had to meet him to see that. Yeah. Like, and, you know, it's just, there's a lot of people like that. Like, once you meet them, it just changes. Yeah, well, it's amazing how many folks them. you know that way. Like, right. I really have a sense that I know this person that I've really only interacted with online. Maybe I've chatted with, like, in a uh, Skype session or something like right. that. But I've really never got to hang out. And then once you have those moments, like, man, it's... And as you get older, too, you know, you had those moments a lot more when you're high school, college. Like, you're out dicking around. Like, you just have that when you get older. It's, you're just not in the same situations where you're out and about that much. Outside of your work environment. Right. Um but even then, I feel really fortunate to have met you at that job because you were the only, there's a lot of good people there, but you're the only person like that. Like, right. 
you're by people. <laughs> this is someone that, you know, has the same, uh, there's somebody that's interesting, that's doing interesting things, that work is not their life. Like, it's... No, nobody else I met there has some Hero Quest games on their, on their <laughs> shelf when I go to their house, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. So, where can people find you online? Um, so, I'm on, I mean, every, everywhere I am, I'm just uh, Orin Gray. Yep. So, um, you have OrinGray.com, is that you? Yep, you own it? All right. yep. It's uh, Gray with an E-G-R-E-Y, but yeah, that's me. So, why'd you pick E over A? Um, I don't know, actually. Just a... <laughs> Personal preference? I guess, so... For um, second vowels? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the name actually comes about because that was not... The, Orin is the name I was born with, but Gray is not. Um, but uh, we picked it because when my wife and I got married, we didn't either one of us want to take the other one's name. We wanted to come up with a new name and both take it, and we picked that one, and we spelled it with an E. I don't even remember why. <laughs> um, I honestly don't, but we, we ran through a bunch of, like, possible options. Yep. That's the one we picked, so... Um, so that's why it's... So are you at Orin Gray on Twitter, too? Yep. Do you do Instagram at all? I do. I do. Um, I do Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That's about it. Um, I mean, technically I've got accounts a couple other places, but those are the only places I'm active. Perfect. And then, uh, and then my website, which I update, like, maybe twice a month. But yeah, well, man, I don't know. With the year you've had, yeah. you know, I'm glad you're getting work done. I'm glad you're feeling better. Amazing. You know, and I can't wait to read the new collection. So thank you for stopping by and talking, man. Yeah. That, dear listeners, was Oren Gray. I'd like to thank Oren for his time. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. If you'd like to reach out, please send an email to litkcpod at gmail.com. Please remember, seasons change, people change. Just like Expose said. Expose.